Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil... How would you like to see a dead body? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Mike, because uh, it's about time we had our yearly joyride looking for dead bodies. <laughs> it is about that time, actually, yeah. now, now after, that you mention it. After that, I know a good pie-eating contest we can swing by, too. So. <laughs> Maybe yes. combine the two. We'll eat pies while looking at dead bodies. That that sounds like a, a, a delightful idea, Phil. <laughs> yeah. man, man versus food takes on a whole different meaning. <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a that's a Food Network uh, TV show waiting to happen, isn't it? <laughs> Eating pies while looking at dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Seinfeld passed enough as comedians in cars drinking coffee once. Right, somewhere. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you can go the longest looking at cadavers while eating yeah, pie just, without throwing just up. Just eating pies and not saying anything. Go, yep. <laughs> There's one. All right. Well, welcome welcome to Tangentville, population two. <laughs> uh, but Phil, why don't you tell people why we're talking about dead bodies and eating pie, shall we? It's not it's not Twin Peaks, although I could see how people might yes, might yeah, be no. confused and think that was it. I thought it's because we, that's what we were going to do, Mike. Are we, are we not uh, going to see dead bodies and eat pie? You know, it, I just don't know that it makes for good pod. Like I think it, it would yeah. make for a good TV episode, yeah. but just people listening to us eating pie and looking at a dead body, I think it might leave something to be desired in the in the the realm well you know why I mean? don't we then we'll go after the ending of stand by me and maybe the fly too and then also maybe do our top 10 films of 2017 and then go for the journey and look at their bodies and eat pie that sounds like a, a winner of an episode to me phil it just came to me now so. <laughs> i like it yeah we'll just have to do it all on the fly though mike oh uh, oh <laughs> god <laughs> I literally felt a physical pain right in my chest when you oh, said that. Oh, you felt a pain, I had to say. Yet, oh my yet, God. at the same time, yeah. slight, slightly jealous. That, I only that realized I what I was saying as I was saying it and went, oh my God. <laughs> right. All right. Well, as you can tell, we are very, very focused tonight. This is definitely, uh, we are we are raring to go. We are on track. We are not going to diverge into you know, tangents whatsoever today, apparently. Yeah. Okay, so The Fly 2, Stand By Me, the top 10 films of last year. What more could you ask for than for us to get started? So let's get started. Phil, why don't you take us through the events of The Fly 2? Yes, The Fly 2, the sequel to The Fly, if you hadn't guessed, is from 1989 and directed by Chris Wallace, or Wallace. It stars Eric Stoltz and Daphne Zuniga. And it's about seven months after the, uh, I won't say the original Fly because that itself was a remake, but we see Veronica Quayle, who was Gina Davis's character in the, that film, but she was recast for this one. She delivers Seth Brundle's child, and Seth Brundle was played by Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. But she delivers a squirming larval sack, uh, which looks horrible and icky, uh, and she ends up dying from the shock. But the sack splits open to reveal a normal baby boy who's called Martin Brundle. Martin is raised by Anton Bartok, whose company financed Brundle's teleportation project. I just want to say, I just want to say, if you if you if you let your child be raised by somebody named Anton Bartok, you kind of have to expect bad things to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, anybody being raised by a, yeah that name and a place that's named after them is just yeah, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Anyway, but continue. we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. there yeah. uh, Martin lives in a clinical environment, 
and he grows quickly. By the age of three, he has the physical appearance of a 10-year-old. He's a genius, has amazing reflexes, and doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't know the true cause of this, but he's told that it's, a, it's the same disease that his dad suffered from. Martin befriends a lab dog and witnesses a new teleportation experiment. The dog is left deformed and it attacks one of the scientists. Martin is horrified and he's told by Bartok that the dog has been put down, but it hasn't because they're still doing experiments on it because it's an evil corporation. <laughs> At the age of five, Martin looks 25 and also a lot like Eric Stoltz. Uh, Bartok gives Martin his very own bungalow and asks him to work on the telepods. Martin defends Beth, played by Daphne Zuniga, and he realizes how to fix the telepod. But he begins showing signs of the fly mutation. He's almost he's going to go full fly at some point. And he realizes he could fix it using a telepod and another human by integrating their genome sequence, but it would leave the other human disfigured. Basically, all the bad goes into one person and all the good into the other. Uh, it depends what your concept of good and bad is, of course. I don't want to be you know, generalized. Right. Martin finds out that Bartok has been spying on him and that Bartok is a nasty man because uh, he wants to make money off the telepods for military things and whatever nebulous reason. Eventually, Martin goes full bundle fly, and he ends up grabbing Bartok and shoves him into the telepods and s to swap their genes. Martin is restored to a full human, where, while Bartok is now a monster to be studied by Bartok Industries. And that's the fly too. Yes, we won't we won't discuss the fact that uh, Daphne Zuniga is basically having a relationship with a five year old. Yeah, yeah, let's gloss over that. Yeah, we'll just skip over that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, very nicely done. Thank you. And uh, I must admit, I quite like the fly too. You know, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I, I actually have very fond memories of it. I went to see mm. it in theaters, and it was probably the first or second. I think it was the second horror movie I ever saw in theaters. And uh, I really loved it, but I do remember at the time thinking that it was the grossest movie I'd ever seen in my entire life. Because there are a few kind of choice moments. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of complaints about the dog as well and things like that. Yeah, but I and there's an elevator scene. With the, the oh, yeah, yeah. Very if, if you've seen Total Recall, it's a similar kind. Uh, right. But I, but yeah. I wonder, because it's been so long since I've seen it, if I went back and watched it now, if it would just seem totally tame compared to the movies that have come out over the past 30 years. And Yeah, because you know, I've not watched it for must be about probably about 15 years. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very right. curious to go back and revisit it and see yeah. how it falls on the on the gross factor. But I do like it. It is a fun sequel. I like the fact that it was a bit different from the, you know, the fly. Yes. Obviously the similarities, but it wasn't it wasn't a total remake of it. Right, right. Which was which was good because that's often one of the problems with the uh, sequels. Yes, agreed. Yeah. But uh, that was uh, that was the rundown of what happened in the film. Mike, what have you got for your day after? All right. Well, Martin is cured of his condition, but he continues to possess his full. Can I just stop you there? Can I just stop you there? Yes. Because the first, the first line of my day after is Martin is cured. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, yeah, same as yours. Well, that seems like a perfectly good time to mention that Phil and I do not compare notes beforehand, and that our endings are created completely differently, and we don't we don't see them, so any similarities are completely coincidental. Yes. Uh, but meanwhile, Martin is cured of his condition, and apparently in both of our endings, but he continues to possess his full faculties and super intelligence, so he continues his father's research. Instead of focusing on transporting living matter, however, he's decided to focus solely on inanimate objects, figuring that there will be a huge market in the transportation, construction, and medical industries with the ability to instantaneously transport materials. Over the next couple of years, he continues to work on the technology, and along the way, he and Beth get married. After a few years of trials, Martin makes a breakthrough and the telepods become viable. In every test, the pods perfectly transport inanimate matter from one pod to another. There's a huge celebration at the newly rechristened Brundle Technologies. During the party, Beth pulls Martin aside and reveals that she's pregnant. And that's my day after. What could possibly 
go wrong. <laughs> mm, we shall see. Mm. Maybe, can... maybe less than you think, but maybe mm. more than you think. Maybe, yeah. Working telepods and a new baby on the way. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, sounds like a recipe for happiness. It does. All right, great. How about then your day after, Phil? I'm glad you asked, Mike. Uh, Martin is cured. He has stopped aging rapidly, but he still has many of the benefits. You know, enhanced strength, speed, super intelligence. So, you know, he's living the dream. He's still ginger, though, and I can say that because I am ginger. <laughs> uh, he leaves Bartok Industries with Beth, but takes a copy of the telepod data with him and a whole chunk of money because they paid him not to not to talk about the experimentation that they were doing with him. Uh, they also, Bartok Industries also believe the telepods are ruined and the rights revert back to Martin because it was his dad who invented them. Martin and Beth end up living in Alaska and they begin working on the telepods once again. The first thing they do is work out a filter program that ensures what happened to his father does not happen again. While going through the original files, Martin discovers the original data for his father's Faye first telepod jump. Martin and Beth both realize they have a chance to maybe bring Seth Brundle back. So going through all the data, putting it into the computer, removing the fly information from that data, they boot up the system. Despite a few minor fires, a couple of little explosions, the experiment works. Seth Brundle has been replicated. He steps out and does a bit of the old, well, uh, mm -hmm, life does find a way. <laughs> and that's my day after. Oh, very nice, I like it. Thank you. I didn't even think about resurrecting uh, Jeff Goldblum. Well, you know, sometimes you've, you've got to get a bit of Goldblum when you can. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay, what's happening with your immediate aftermath? Well, it's a little less immediate, but 30 years later, Brundle Technologies has become the most powerful company in the world. Now run by Kieran Brundle, the son of Martin and Beth, the company is large enough to be considered by some a small country. The telepods changed the face of the world, eliminating the need for many modes of freight transportation, reducing fuel costs the world over, and making Martin and Beth rich beyond anybody's wildest dreams. Kieran grew up healthy and normal, with none of the accelerated aging or intelligence that marked Martin's youngest years. Mm. However, Kieran grew up in Martin's shadow and gravitated naturally towards the sciences, taking over for his father at just 27 years old. Now, under the supervision of Kieran, NASA is in the process of placing telepods on the Moon, Mars, and Venus for human colonization. And Excellent. that's my immediate aftermath. So see, I didn't go where yeah. you thought I was going to go. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. No, I like the idea. Yeah, put, yeah, something like a telepod, putting them on the moon and things like that would really, you know, it would revolutionize space travel. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. really would. Oh, I like that. Yes. Mm. Well, that might play into my into the further, you know, the rest of my ending. We'll see, though. But in the okay. meantime, let's get to your uh, immediate aftermath. Okay, Seth Brundle has all of the memories he had up to when he first stepped into the telepod. It takes him a while to get up to speed, but he eventually comes to terms with what happened. The fact he has a son is a great shock, and also the fact that Seth himself was created from literally nothing. He was just, his data was put in, boom, and he was there. Is he shocked that, that his son is a redhead when both he and Gina Davis have distinctly brown hair? Was he maybe a little concerned about the the parentage he puts that down to you know mix with the you know the fly dna because <laughs> apparently flies were originally ginger oh okay good to know yeah yeah <laughs> just curious this is this is where my mind goes yeah realizing that the telepods can also uh, recreate matter as well as teleport opens up a whole new pathway bundle incorporated is formed and becomes a huge success initially they use the technology to fabricate various materials and help provide cheap food medicine and homes the world begins to change for the better However, the technology eventually leaks into the world and various competitors start copying and using that technology. Some military suppliers use it to make enhanced humans, splicing them with various creatures, but these new mutated humans turn against their creators 
and cause an awful lot of problems. Foreign powers also want the telepod technology and the world is eventually plunged into World War III. Seth, Martin and Beth help as best as they can. The guilt they feel is immense, but they provide free medicine, supplies and just try rebuilding or anything that which is destroyed. Uh, but things do not look good. And that's my immediate aftermath. Well, I was going to say that I thought it was interesting that we seem to be going along some of my parallel paths, just in slightly different ways, you know, with the technology sort of becoming this big thing. But then you went and started World War Three, and that's very different. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's the thing that's the technology, teleportation technology would change the world. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, but so what's happening then with your, you know, f we're sending teleports to the moon and other planets. What's going on there? All right. Well, 100 years later, hmm. and the Human Galactic Alliance has colonized much of the Milky Way. Eventually, in order to facilitate more and more transportation requirements, the pods were redesigned into a large ring shape that matter can just be pushed through rather than having to be placed inside of a pod. After several years of very careful research, the Teller Ring, as it's been called, technology, is finally able to transport living matter. Meaning once a ship gets to its destination with a telering, a human habitat can be built in weeks. From there, it's just a matter of time before an entire colony is built. Although there are a few hiccups in the process, such as a telering in orbit around Earth that went missing in a strange storm, eventually, with the telering technology shaping the universe, mankind ventures outside of the Milky Way and becomes part of the fabric of the cosmos. Humans go on to become a major player in a universe that has a diverse collection of intelligent life forms. And that's my after the end. Although I do have an after the credits scene, I will I say. I thought so. Is it something to do with the ring that went missing? It might. Might might um, do. You never know. Mm, I'm getting the Events Horizon vibes. No, definitely not that. But Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> I, I I actually managed to keep this one all positive. I kept I kept wanting to go dark and then I was like, no, I just like I just I'm going where it's going and it just kept going to bigger and better things rather than, you know, darkness. Oh, I leave that to okay. you. Okay. No, I will see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, how about your long term then, Phil? Okay. The war is over. The world has changed. Realizing how close they come to extinction, mankind finally finds peace. Fundal Incorporated releases their replicator technology full of safeguards that cannot be broken. Now that people can create anything that they want, money is, money is no longer needed. Greed becomes pushed to the side and mankind begins an era of scientific research. Martin, Seth and Beth are hailed as humanity's saviors. Earth is still recovering from the war, but in 2063, Zephram Cochran makes a historic <laughs> warp flight and makes it. his first contact with alien life. I was waiting for it. With Cochran's warp technology and Bundle Incorporated's teleportation and replicator working together, mankind can leave the Earth and go on some kind of Star Trek. <laughs> Very nice. As soon as you said about the, you know, the replicators and stuff, I was kind of like, I think I know where this is going, but I like it. Yeah. And we yeah. sort of Thank all kind of ended up in the same place with with man, both really sort of heading out into a Star Trek. Just I didn't, yeah. I didn't put a name That's on it. That's it. Yeah. Going out, going out there exploring the universe because of uh, one guy who decided to. Yeah. See if you could teleport. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And so that's the world, you know, humanity is saved because of Jeff Goldblum. You see that? Isn't it always? Isn't it always? Yeah. yeah. We'll have to see if we can get Jeff to get up, come on the show. Yeah, for sure. I'll yeah. just call him up. Yeah, we'll do that. I couldn't get through last time. I think he was busy. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So go on. What's going on with you after the credits? Okay, well. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> The Tellering in orbit never stood a chance. The storm that set upon it happened so suddenly that there was no time for anyone to prepare. When the storm was over, the Tellering was simply gone. 
Unbeknownst to anyone in our universe, the Teller Ring had been sent through time and space to an alternate universe, landing on Earth in ancient Egyptian huh. times. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Centuries later, Dr. <laughs> Daniel Jackson was called in to a top-secret U.S. military operation. Dr. Jackson, the military man says to him, we call this the Stargate. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> I like the fact you both... I linked it to Star Trek. You yeah. linked it to Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I didn't go with the teleportation, like the way you and the replicator more, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had to get it to the ring shape so I could turn it into the Stargate. So, but yeah, so interesting. We sort of both went in a similar direction, but, yeah, but slightly good. different. I like, I like that. I like yours. Very fun. Cool. Okay, that was the Fly 2. Phil, do you have any Fly trivia for us? Yeah, and it's super fly. <laughs> I was hoping it would be. Yeah, okay. Uh, some people, some other actors considered to play the role of Martin Brundle. Uh, after it was originally written for Eric Stoltz, but he turned it down until some rewrites went through. But other people considered were Vincent D'Onofrio, Keanu Reeves, and Josh Brolin. Huh. Uh, and Mel Brooks suggested to the director that Daphne Zuniga be cast because she was in Spaceballs, that Mel Brooks uh, wrote in, which, and did. Uh, 20th Century Fox's decision to use Anton Bartok and his company as the bad guys was based on Aliens and the Wayland Utani Corporation. Because uh, it was funny when I was thinking of this, I almost tied it into aliens about having maybe the, the technology splice things together right. to make an alien right. and get rid of uh, alien covenants and Prometheus. So why didn't they name it Wayland Utani then, or something like that? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. that wasn't a very obvious uh, nod, is all I'm saying. You know, mm-hmm. like hey, yeah, well, we're going to tie it together, but we're going to do it with a completely different name that no one will recognize. They should have done that. That would have been really good, wouldn't it? Just yeah. have it off. Yeah, have it as one of those things. Yeah, would have been fun. Uh, okay, and Eric Stoltz decided to stay in character. And so he wanted to, be, wanted to be called by his character's name during filming. And it was also written on the back of his chair that, you know, the actors have when they're yeah. resting in between takes. Interesting. And that's The Fly 2. All right. Well, let's move on then to Stand By Me, shall we? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> what song was that anyway? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, do you want to give us a rundown on Stand By Me? Sure thing. Stand By Me, 1986, directed by Rob Reiner, based on the novella The Body by Stephen King, starring River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell, and Kiefer Sutherland, with Richard Dreyfuss narrating. The film opens with author Gordy Lachance reading in the newspaper that his childhood friend Chris Chambers has been stabbed to death. We then flash back to their childhood when Gordy, Chris, Teddy Duchamp, and Vern Tessio go on a journey to see a dead body that Vern overheard his older brother Billy and his friend Chris discovered. And the name of the missing boy is Ray Brower. After a series of misadventures involving Chopper the Junkyard Dog and a killer train, uh, plus some pie eating, the four boys discover the body. Just then, local hoodlum Ace and his gang, including Chris's older brother Eyeball Chambers, show up to claim the body and take credit for finding it. Chris, however, refuses to allow this. Ace draws a switchblade, but Gordy intervenes with the gun that Chris had stolen from his dad. Ace and his gang leave, and Ace vows revenge. The four boys realize that finding the body is more sad than exciting, and they end up anonymously calling it into the police. As the film ends, Gordy reveals the fate of all four kids. As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern, until eventually they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. I heard that Vern got married out of high school, had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenault Lumberyard. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. 
Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. Chris did get out. He enrolled in the college courses with me, and although it was hard, he gutted it out like he always did. He went on to college and eventually became a lawyer. Last week, he entered a fast food restaurant. Just ahead of him, two men got into an argument. One of them pulled a knife. Chris, who had always made the best piece, tried to break it up. He was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. After finishing telling the story, he heads outside to take his young son and his friends swimming. And that is Stand By Me. Well, that's a beautiful film, but you've already given, you know, you, it wasn't after the ending we know what happened to the Michael. Yeah, well, we I know I had to I had to include that because I did remember that he sort of does tell us what happens to everyone. But uh, I know, but it's, we, are, we are that good. That we, we, we are matter. so good that we can work around that. We've done it before. It's not our first time we've had mm, to deal with mm. that. Um, this isn't our first rodeo. No, no, it is not. I, I feel like this is kind of a, a, a moot question to ask, but Phil, are you a fan of Stand By Me? And let me just tell you before you answer... It better be yes. Oh, hell yes. It's a, it's a beautiful, brilliant film. Yeah, It really is. It, it, you know, yeah. I, I mean, this is one of those films that uh, I watched as a kid. You know, not a kid kid, but like I think I was 11 or 12 when it came out. And, uh, you know, it was it was a, an integral part of my childhood and into my teen years. And it is one of those movies that if I if I come across it, I will I will sit and watch it. And, you know, it it, it to this day holds up every bit as good as it was when it came out, I think. Oh, yeah, it doesn't. Because it was already set at a different time period than we were born, and it's, it's right. it doesn't age really. So it's it's yeah, it's it's just amazing. It's probably the archetypal coming of age film. Exactly. It's you know be based all of the ones you know have to compare to Stand by Me. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, good. Well, that is uh, that Stand by Me. Where you're both obviously big fans. Phil, why don't you take us into your day after? Yes. Okay then. Ray Brower looked down on Chris Gordy and the others as they faced down Ace and his gang. Oh, I already like where you're going with this. Ray felt interest to the proceedings, but no more emotion. Even the sight of his cold, dead body raised no concern. He barely remembered the moment of his death, and his time before that existed as an abstract concept in his mind. Seeing the children and teenagers shouting near his body gave him something to observe, other than the various animals, insects and microbes. In what seemed the blink of an eye, the living people were gone, and Ray was alone. He drifted aimlessly, but never far from his body, yet over time he felt a strange pull from the towns of Castle Rock, Derry, and Jerusalem's lot. The pull felt dark and wrong. Ray felt a strange inclination to investigate. His mortal remains had decomposed at some point. His concept of time seemed to have gone. With nothing keeping him there, Ray drifted off to investigate the towns and the darkness within. That's my day after. Well, Phil, as always, I love the way your mind works. That was very cool. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. I'm glad you like that. But what's uh, happening with your day after? Uh, here we go. Hit me with it. It's the first day of school after the boys discovered Ray Brower's body. The whole school is a buzz, as it's big news in a small town, even though almost nobody at the school actually knew Ray. Over the course of the next few days, Ace, Eyeball, and the rest of the gang exact their revenge, delivering severe beatings to each of the kids. Even though their parents and teachers pressed them for the truth, they each just claimed that they got into a fight with each other while roughhousing, refusing to name names for fear of further retaliation. For a while, the four of them remained close, having shared an experience that bonds young men. One weekend in October, the four of them are exploring in the woods when they come across a strange glowing light. Teddy, being reckless as usual, approaches it despite the other kids' warnings. He reaches out to touch it, and with a huge flash, the four of them disappear. Ooh. And that's my day after. Okay. Oh, I like that. I've got no idea where that's going. No, well, that is the point. So Excellent. hopefully I can keep Excellent. you guessing. I look forward to... 
Yeah, look forward to seeing where they've gone. Thank you, thank you. All right, mm. how about your immediate aftermath? Okay. If Ray still had the ability to experience horror, his mind would have been destroyed. During his travels, he had witnessed vampires draining the life from others, small animals and children being reanimated. He had felt a strange sensation when witnessing that strange cemetery in the woods. <laughs> He'd also seen a mother and son terrorized by a large dog, adults with frayed memories battling a strange clown. During that episode, Ray had kept hidden as he had a feeling if the clown saw him, that would be the end of him. He'd also seen creatures from beyond buried in the ground, two dogs battling an evil force near an old sandlot, <laughs> a writer trapped by his number one fan, a strange shop with a devilish owner, weird invisible doctors and scissors, uh, dangerous mists and more. And behind all of this was a chaotic evil, but every time Ray tried to see it, he was engulfed in crimson and pushed back. Realising all the victims of this crimson evil were beyond death, Ray knew he had to do something, but he had no idea what. On his travels, he felt something shining bright in the darkness. Moving closer, he saw it was an adult man sat in a diner in Castle Rock. To his surprise, the man looked directly at Ray and then spoke without moving his mouth. I'm glad you heard my call. My name is Danny Torrance, and together I think we can stop this. Wow. All right. I like, I like, first of all, I like that you brought in Danny Torrance, uh, but I like that in all your Stephen King references, you included yeah. a, a callback to one of our after the endings. Yeah, I so couldn't resist. Stephen King fans won't necessarily get the reference. Only fans of this show will get the reference to the two dogs fighting an evil force, which I, which yes. I liked. So thank uh, you very much. Because that was a Sandlot after the ending, wasn't it? Yeah, the Sandlot. Yeah, that was which was, which was not a Stephen yeah. King story, yeah. as I recall. So. But I did feel like my ending did sort of kind of fit in. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I just think it's I think it's awesome, actually. Thank you very much. Okay, then, but uh, more importantly, what's going on with, with uh, the boys in your your ending when they've gone through the light? All right. Come on, what's happened? Okay, well, Gordy, Chris, Vern, and Teddy wake up, groggy and stunned. They make their way back into town, but everything is different. The roads aren't paved, the cars are all ancient, and everyone's clothes are weird. Chris steals a newspaper from a general store, and the four of them look at the date in shock. It's 1930. While they're trying to process it, they hear someone yell out, Come on, Lachance, you're slowing us down. They turn around to follow the voice and see a group of teenagers on apple cart skateboards. All four of them look at the teenagers in confusion. Then a realization slowly dawns on them. In unison, each one of them says, Grandpa? In disbelief, the four boys realize they're looking at their grandfathers when they were young men and that they were all friends back in the 1930s, something none of them had ever realized. Teddy's grandfather then yells out, Come on, guys. The Losers Club are the only ones who know what's happening in Derry. We've got to stop this. Teddy looks at the rest of them and says, What the hell is the Losers Club? And, and that's my immediate aftermath. I like it. Thank you. No, I look forward to seeing now what happens with the Losers Club. The Losers Club in your ending. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward now to hearing your long term so we can find out about this mystic crimson force that's uh, working against Ray. Uh, well, I'm not going to explain anything. Okay. You either have, you've either read the stuff or you haven't. No, you know, I see. So, well, yeah, excuse so. me, Mr. Mr. Stephen King purist here. Well, I've, I've not read all of them. I've only read a few. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, so so my long term. Ray watched as the man in black ran across the desert as the gunslinger followed. Uh-huh. Ray's time with Danny had made them both stronger, but Danny was getting older. Again, Ray's concept of time was messed up. Ray had found he could travel to other worlds, and once he got to this strange new place... They realized that the gunslinger could be a powerful ally. Ray stayed far away from the man in black and tried not to look at the dark tower that dominated the horizon. Ray had also found he had the ability to possess others. Finding someone near death, Ray used the body to speak to Roland, the gunslinger. He convinced Roland to travel to Earth to speak to Danny. The trio then made plans and the cycle would be broken. The Crimson King would be defeated. 
and that's my long term. Very cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Nice ending. Thank you very much. Yes, I just uh, I just thought Ray should have done a bit more because I know he was dead before the film started. But, right. Uh, no, I, I always like the fact he was there. I like teaming him up with Danny Torrance and, and the Gunslinger. That's sort of like a Stephen King's greatest hits there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be quite quite cool to watch. I think. Yeah, yeah, better, better than the Dark Tower movie that was <laughs> last year. Anyway. That's not a high bar. Okay, but that's by the by. What's going on though with uh, your long term and the Losers Club? Gordy, Chris, Vern, and Teddy ran through the woods in utter panic. None of them were sure what they had just witnessed, but it had terrified the hell out of them. They had followed their grandfathers into the sewers, where things had gotten really weird. There were floating dead children, horrifying visions, and they were pretty sure a monstrous clown. Their grandfathers had managed to fight against it and seemingly defeat it. But as they were making their way out of the sewers, the caves had started to rattle and shake like a massive earthquake was happening, even though they were nearly unheard of in Maine. The four boys panicked and ran and ended up back in the woods where they had come through the time portal. They finally stopped to catch their breath and looked at each other in shock. Our granddads were heroes, Vern said between gasps. Do you think they killed it? Gordy asked. Something tells me we haven't seen the last of it, Chris says. Just then, the glowing light reappears, and without hesitating, Chris reaches out and touches it. With the same flash that brought them here, the boys are gone and reawaken in their own time. Did that just happen for real? Vern asks. Chris just nods. The four of them look at each other, then slowly make their way home. As they're walking, a group of seven young kids on bicycles go riding by in a hurry. Just before they're out of earshot, Gordy thinks he hears one of the kids call themselves the Losers Club. He looks at the other guys, but none of them heard it. Good luck, kids, he says under his breath. And that's my long term. That's cool. I like I liked them seeing seeing the grandparents and then seeing the, the losers club from the that we know of anyway. That's yes. uh, that's good though. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. So that is Stand By Me. Yeah. And yeah, who would have thought that our endings, you know, after seeing Stand By Me, our endings do diverge quite a bit. Right. Well, you know, I think tone. what happens too though is because we know what happens to all of them in the quote real yeah, world. Yeah. There wasn't much opportunity to kind of go in a sort of real world direction with it. That's very true. Without having to to lock ourselves into what we know happened, so it made it kind of easier to go off in a bit of a wild tangent. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, I did like both of them, both the endings. Likewise, likewise. All right. Well, Phil, I understand you like to stand by trivia. So how about you share some of that with us? How about I go looking for your body in the woods after that pun? Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, uh, this, this is another one about staying in character. Apparently in this one, uh, Kiefer Sutherland wanted to stay in character, and he did this by picking on the younger members of the cast. That doesn't surprise me. Okay, so how much of that is actually him saying, you know, he's probably caught picking on them and said, no, I'm staying in character. But, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, during the train scene, the train was actually at the far end of the, uh, the bridge with the two actors at the opposite end, but the crew used a 600mm long-focused lens that went shot at the telephoto end it compressed the image, making it look like the train was right behind them. Cool. So I like that. Uh, Corey Feldman and Rob Reiner tested 30 different laughs to find the right one for Teddy Duchamp. <laughs> uh, Will Wheaton's grandfather starred in 1957's Wagon Train. Huh. So Wheaton's grandmother asked that Wagon Train was somehow worked into the dialogue. Nice. Which I quite like. Yep. And the vomit used in the film was made from cottage cheese and blueberry mix. There you go. Mm. It is very memorable. Yeah, nothing like a bit of fake vomit. No, no, indeed. <laughs> all right well that is going to wrap up our endings for stand by me and the fly Two. it is time now to move on to our 100 years of hollywood and 100 episodes wherein we take a year from the past century of hollywood and share our top 10 favorite films but it is that time of year when everyone is doing their top 10 lists for the previous year so we are no different and we are going to share with you our top 10 films of last year 
2017. Phil, I would ask you to climb into your time machine, but I don't think I have to because I think most people know what happened last year. Everybody knows it was a lovely, joyous place, 2017, where both the UK and America got new leaders and our bond with Europe became even stronger. Oh, perhaps that is that is exactly how it went down. Hold on, is this which uh, which Earth dimension is this? <laughs> yeah, so say, I think maybe you're on a different one than we are. But anyway, sorry, sorry, this is parallel Earth, Phil. I'll pass you back to your Phil. Okay, thanks, thanks. Yeah, hi, Phil here. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty seventeen. What a year, hey? Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, but some good movies. Yeah, it was a very good year for yeah. films, actually. Yeah, I liked, yeah. I liked a lot of them. So let's dive into them, shall we? Yes, let's do this. Okay, then. So do you want to kick things off, Mike? Yes, I do. My number 10 is a tie between two lesser-seen films, both of which I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, and they are The Girl with All the Gifts and 47 Meters Down. Uh, the Girl with All the Gifts is sort of a post-apocalyptic, zombie sort of film but there's it's a little bit different because the kids are sort of like hybrid human zombie kids that could turn yeah and so they're sort of being studied and treated by the military but they're sort of also trying to be understood and this one girl you know is maybe has some special thing about her. I don't know. I'm not doing a very good job making it sound good, but... No, it's, it is a very good film, though. <laughs> it's yeah. a great it's, it's film. A quite, it's a different take on the zombie kind of film. Exactly, and I, I really liked it, and it has a very cool ending. Uh, and then 47 Meters Down is actually a shark thriller starring Mandy Moore, uh, which you wouldn't expect to be that great of a film, but I have to say I really, really enjoyed it, partially because whatever special effects they used were really, really good. And there's a number of scenes where it really looks like Mandy Moore and, and her co-star are 10 feet away from, you know, gigantic great white sharks. Um, so the the story, is, I think, is a little derivative of The Descent, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Maybe that's part of why I liked it so much. But um, it's a fun thriller. It's really, really fun. Good special effects. A lot of sort of edgier seat moments and, you know, scary bits. So, so two films that I, I really enjoyed that maybe people haven't seen uh, might want to track down. Yeah, I've still not seen 47 Meters Down. I must... Check that one out. It's just it's okay. just a good fun thriller. Yeah, yeah, I do like a shark shark thriller. Yeah. Okay, my my number ten. It's also uh, it's a double whammy. Uh, it is the it includes two films. The first one is The Foreigner, which was uh, Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan, which is a uh, it's quite a it's a very serious role for Jackie Chan because he in the film he loses a daughter in a, a an explosion in London, and then he's uh, it's some it's got links to the IRA and he's trying to he just wants to know who did who put the bomb there and so he goes looking for it and Pierce Brosnan is this this uh, Irish uh, government member who ties to the IRA as well you find out that Jackie Chan's got a, a secret history and that's why he's so good at what he does but it's just it's really good seeing Jackie Chan do this be, play this broken man who's just trying to find revenge and Pierce Brosnan trying to keep things together while everything's falling apart from him and both of them get uh, a chance to shine in the film I, I really enjoyed it and some nice action set pieces but not too over the top and some great characters in that one. And the other one for number 10 is The Disaster Artist, which is uh, directed by James Franco, and it's all about the making of The Room, uh, which I didn't really know much about the making of it, but it was uh, fascinating to watch. And the whole time you're watching it, because James Franco's playing Tommy Wiseau, who made The Room, and if you didn't know that Tommy Wiseau was a real person and this had all really happened, you'd be going, this is just ridiculous. There's no <laughs> way. What, what, what are they doing? Why is he talking like that? Nobody does this, but it's all true. And it's just fascinating to watch. 
Very good choice. I did yeah. like The Foreigner. Um, I have not seen Disaster Artist yet. Uh, and that is one of the pitfalls of doing these lists early is obviously there are still a handful of films from 2017 that we haven't we haven't gotten to see yet. So yeah, yeah. There yeah. may be some still, omissions still uh, by omission or simply because we haven't gotten to them yet. Yeah, and there's also there'll be a little bit of overlap because Mike's in America, I'm in the UK. Some films that were released here possibly in 2016 came out in 2017 and some are just coming up now that were out last year. So, you know, if there's some certain films we mentioned which you're going, well, why is this there and there? But it's because of the different release dates. Exactly. That's just in case anyway. Yep. All right. Well, my number nine is Detroit, directed by Catherine Bigelow. And it is about a little-known incident during the riots in the 1960s in Detroit uh, that took place at a hotel where three young black men were uh, murdered by policemen. And it is a an incredibly powerful film that I, I really liked. And it could have been higher on my list, but there was a few flaws with the storytelling. There was some some stuff I wish they had kind of delved a little bit deeper into. But it's a very intense film. Uh, and it stars John Boyega, best known as Finn from Star Wars, of course, and also Will Poulter. Um, and if you don't know him by name, go look him up because I guarantee you'll recognize him. You've seen him before. He's, he's a brilliant actor. He yeah, Will is... Poulter, he was going to be the original choice for Pennywise. Oh, right. The new, the new version of it, when, but that all fell apart. Right. Right, right. Well, he, he, him, and people who think that John Boyega is only only as Finn should watch this movie because his performance is brilliant. I mean, it's really, really fantastic. And then Will Poulter, who plays this extremely racist police officer, uh, is just searing every time he's on screen. I mean, the two of them really are just mind-blowingly good in this movie. I mean, everybody in the movie is good, and Catherine Bigelow directed the hell out of it, but it, it's a it's not a cheerful film, but it's an important film, uh, and, and I really liked it a lot. It's, it's very powerful stuff. Excellent. Yeah, that's one of the ones I didn't get to see last year, so it might have made my list, but uh, it's definitely one I want to try and watch as soon as I can. So uh, an excellent choice. I'm glad I got on your list. Uh, my number nine is Get Out, uh, the one directed by Jordan Peele. Uh, I really... Enjoyed this. I saw this late in the year. I missed it when all the buzz was going on. And I thought I'd, because it was, you know, everybody's going, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. I'd watch it and go, is that it? Right. But uh, no, I I, I, re- I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, you're expecting it to be one thing, but it's not quite how it's, you thought it was going to be. And I really like that as well, the way they did things. Uh, but uh, yeah, really enjoyable, really creepy. Not so much a horror film, more like a, a thriller with horror overtones, probably. But uh we really, really enjoyed this one, watching that one, and it was. Uh, I'm glad it lived up to all the hype. Yes, I, I liked it quite a bit as well. Uh, it, did, it got edged out of my list, but it was on my short list, but, uh, but I, I do like it, so good choice. Uh, my number eight is probably not going to gain me any fans, but I'm putting it on there anyway, and it is Cars 3. Uh, no big surprise. Boo. <laughs> Come on. No, I've not seen Did you it. see I've it? Not okay. seen it so I've not seen it. I can't comment. Here, here, I'm just doing the usual thing whenever you mention cars. Right. Here's the thing. Cars 3, I think, really only works, or at least works best, if you're a big fan of the original movie. Because Cars 3 is a love letter to Cars. It pays tribute to some of the best characters. It goes into Doc Hudson's history. We meet some new characters that, that sort of explore themes of racism and sexism in the real world and it's it's really fantastic it, it, it the first half the first third of the film didn't didn't grab me right away but when they started getting into doc hudson's sort of history and and then lightning mcqueen sort of goes through this realization and stuff um i absolutely loved it and i loved it because it pays so much tribute to the first film and what made the first film so brilliant shut up everybody out there who doesn't understand how great cars <laughs> is i don't want to hear it uh, but i really did like it quite a bit so that's my number eight excellent well i knew it, i had a feeling it might get into your list but i wasn't sure because as we've already said 2017 was an amazing year for films but uh, my number eight is sean baker's the florida project ah good i haven't seen it yet but i've heard good things 
Yeah, it's it's just it basically following a six-year-old girl and her friends living in like a, a hotel in the shadow of Disney World. It's got Willem Dafoe as the manager of the hotel, and it, it's you, it's basically like a load of vignettes of this girl and her friends, just what they get up to. The actress playing the mum is brilliant because the mum is just horrible. She's very young, having the kids, but she's into drugs and things and trying to just trying to make her way through life as well. So you do you do realize that there are reasons for the way she is, uh, but it's just. Just these kids just going through things. Willem Dafoe looking out for them, even though, you know, it's not his job to, but he still has this thing. But it's just, it, Willem Dafoe is just amazing in it. And the kids are just, I don't know how they get kids to, you know, do things so well, but it's just just making the way through life and trying to understand the thing that all these grown-ups are talking about, even though they they don't understand. At the end, is heartbreaking, but also uplifting. And uh, it's a beautiful film, although it deals with, you know, the harsh realities of life. Very good. Excellent choice. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Well, let me know what you think when you do see it. Will do. Well, my number seven is a movie that has been mentioned uh, an inordinate amount of times so far in this episode, and it is It, uh, based on the Stephen King book, of course. Uh, One of the biggest hits of the year, and I know there's a lot of mixed reactions to this film. Some people absolutely loved it. I know people who saw it three and four times in the theater, and I also know an equal amount of people who are like, meh. Yeah, yeah, it did seem to split. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was creepy. I thought it it had scary moments. I thought the young cast was terrific. Uh, I thought it really captured the feel of the book, but if you hadn't read the book, it didn't matter. You know, um, I I just thought it kind of got everything right, and I, I do think that part of the reason it was so big was because of the Stranger Things phenomenon, because it, it, it... Yeah, I think that really helped. It looked and felt like a new episode of Stranger Things. It even had one of the cast members in it. Yeah, yeah, Finn Wolfhard, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, yeah. Bunch of kids riding their bikes around town fighting evil. What does that sound like to you, you know? So I think that was part <laughs> of it, but I do think it stands up on its own merits as a really cool, fun horror film that creeped the heck out of me while I was watching it. So that's my number seven. Excellent. I really enjoyed the film, but it didn't quite make my list, but it was bubbling around there at the bottom. My number seven... My list is a film that stars Mark Hamill. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes, that's right. Brigsby Burr. I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't the last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. Uh this was a it's a great little indie one. I won't go into plot details because it's just lovely to it, it starts off and you, you think it's going one way and it just throws you to another way, but it's basically all about the love of film and the love of making films and how it brings people together. And it's a wonderful, beautiful little film, and it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Uh, good choice. Good choice. All right. My number six is a a funny and heartfelt and moving movie that was fairly successful, but I wish it had been a bigger hit. And it is The Big Sick, starring Kumail Nanjiani and Zoe Kazan, which is not an easy two-word, two names to, to say. <laughs> but, um, but it's a really, really good film about this new relationship, this couple. They sort of break up, and then the girl gets really sick and ends up in the hospital. And Kumail Nanjiani is sort of, sort of the boyfriend, but sort of not. And then her parents come out, and they sort of form this weird relationship. And it's uh, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter, who are both terrific as her parents. And it's just, it's really warm, and there's a lot of humor to it, but it's got a lot of heart and emotion to it. And I'm a big Kumail Nanjiani fan anyway. I love his stand-up. Uh, he, he co-wrote it with his real-life wife, and it's actually kind of loosely based on what happened to them in real life. Uh, it's a terrific movie. It's it's out on video. I highly recommend people track it down. It's really, really good. And it does have the best, I even hate saying this, but it has the best 9-11 joke you'll ever hear. So, <laughs> and, I, and I mean that with all due respect. It's not it's not meant to be flipped, but it's it it's in there, and it's brilliant. So. That's my number okay, six. Yeah, that's uh, that's one I, I it's on my list to watch. Oh, it's, it's so good, so good. Yeah, because I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah. Okay, my uh, my number six is one that surprised me being on the list, considering what we 
We usually say about uh, the, the first one, but it's Blade Runner 2049. Okay. I, re- I really enjoy this one. It's long, it's ponderous, it's slow, but I quite yes, I thought that yes, worked quite is. well for the film. <laughs> but I, I loved I loved it was the, the mystery and I liked I liked Kay trying to discover what was going on and because his memories or what he thought was memories led him one way when it instead went another way. It looked beautiful. Well, it looked not beautiful because you know what the world they're living in wasn't beautiful, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. It, look, it does, it does look, look great. beautiful. It's, a, it's yeah, an it excellent looked, looked great. Film. Uh, some and I, I like the fact it wasn't a big action sci-fi film because they could have done that, but it was a, a thoughtful, slow science fiction film, which I I found myself really enjoying. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Not on my list, but but uh, a worthwhile inclusion. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here we are at my number five, and this gets to the point where honestly, any one of these movies could have been my number one. Um, so with this year, there was a lot of good movies, but I really felt like my top five is almost like a five-way tie. So my, yeah, yeah, my yeah, ordering of them here is somewhat arbitrary, but this is the way I sort of, they, they shook, they shook loose. My at number five is Kong Skull Island. Um, not a hard sell for me. I am a humongous uh, King Kong fan to begin with. And I know some people say, oh, it's, it doesn't have much of a plot and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Great. That's what I want. I wanted a giant monkey fighting giant yeah. other creatures. And it's it does that so well. The special effects are amazing. And the opening of the film with the helicopters going in all Apocalypse Now style with real helicopters and planes, like real footage, not just CGI stuff. It's so beautiful. And that just set the tone for a, a really great movie. It's not... It's not cinematic genius, but it is a roller coaster theme park ride from start to finish, and I absolutely yeah. loved it. So that's my number yeah. five. It almost totally agree with you. It almost made my top ten, but there's lots of these other films. But I enjoyed the hell out of that one. I'm, I'm glad I made your list, Mike. It's a it was a most enjoyable film. Yep, definitely. Okay, uh, one my number five isn't exactly the most enjoyable, but it was really well done and well acted. It is Wind River. Oh yeah, I really liked yeah. it. Almost made my list. Yeah, I just because I didn't know. What to expect? I all knew is I had Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch, in. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jeremy Renner and uh, Elizabeth Olsen. For those who don't know about that, but it's just just great. It's like a modern day western, you know, about Jeremy Renner's character trying to discover how this girl died, and you find out bits and pieces about his past and heartbreaking, and just the scenery stunning, and you see the terrible conditions that some of the, the Native Americans live in and the way they're treated. And the, mystery, the central mystery itself is really good. And it's got a phenomenal flashback scene, which I didn't see coming. Yes, yes. And just, I, I enjoyed every minute of it because it just took me along and surprised me. And you felt the coldness and you felt the, the futility of it all. And it's just an amazing film. Yeah, I agree. I, it didn't make my list. Um, I, I'm not quite sure why, but I really liked it a lot. It is a, it is a like dark, tough, knuckle punch kind of film. has a very old-fashioned kind of feel to it. Old-fashioned like, yeah, like those yeah. kind of 70s gritty, you know. That's exactly it, yeah, yeah. All right, well, my number four is a much more cheerful film than that. And it is Thor Ragnarok. Excellent. So I guess you could say it's my number Thor <laughs> uh, check please yeah oh, I, I don't I don't know what I have to say about Thor Ragnarok it was obviously a humongous hit uh, it's it, it's such a fun film for people out there who say it's too funny it's it's not too funny it's very funny and that's good there's no such thing as too much humor and here's the thing for me is that Thor when he's not handled properly is an inherently boring character it's like he's pr- yeah, he's pretty yeah. and he's strong and nobody can beat him he's like superman you know but but better looking like it's just not that interesting so to make him the kind of the the comedic foil for the marvel universe i'm okay with that but then even though he's funny and silly you know by the end of the movie the stakes come out and things are really really 
big and there's this, you know, epic event happening. And boy, the film just looks amazing and just gave us new characters that you instantly care about and, and are instantly great additions to the Marvel Universe. And I loved every minute of it. So that's yeah. my, it's my number I, four. I don't even think that you, an excellent choice. The humor was like as a result of the story and the characters all had different, their own kind of humor as well. So it wasn't just... Like the same voice coming out of the right. It wasn't like so Star Wars: was... Last Jedi. <coughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to say that, but yes, <laughs> but yes. I thought the humor worked well, and because these are all large and life characters yes. who are pretty much nine vulnerable, as the tick would say, they would have a bit more of a sense of humor when it comes to these fights and things because they don't really think they're gonna get hurt. Right. Right. Exactly. But anyway, I'll uh, I'll probably mention Thor Ragnarok in a minute. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> not quite. But uh, my number four is Logan Lucky by Steven Soderbergh, another one which I didn't really know what to expect, uh, but it was a nice little funny heist film. It's quite a small movie. Again, it's almost, almost had a bit like of a 70s feel to it. Uh, Daniel Craig was just, you forget sometimes because of the Bond films, you just you, you forget he can also do different things. And I thought he was excellent in it, as was Channing Tatum and Adam Driver. I didn't quite know. I, lo- I like a heist film where you think it's going one way and then a bit later on you see what actually happened and things like that. And there's a bit where, where Channing Tatum's daughter's at like a, a show and she sings a song it made me cry uh, and i just i just really enjoyed it very cool and it was, it was quite very funny as well in places good choice good choice all right well my number three is another marvel movie and it is Ooh. but which marvel movie is it you ask well i'm glad you asked it is spider-man homecoming which i absolutely adored tom holland is fantastic as peter parker i like that they brought him into the marvel universe we got to see tony stark um i thought Michael Keaton is one of the best actors working today. He's so good. Yeah. And he he solved the villain problem, if you think that Marvel has one, about them oh, not having amazing. compelling villains. And just really, um, you know, he, he's one of the most human villains that they've had. And, you know, you think, uh, the Vulture, really, not that exciting. But, man, then you get Michael Keaton in the role. What they did with it was amazing. Yeah. It's just such a good movie. It's so much fun, and it's exciting, and it's action-packed, and it looks great. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. I have been my whole life. I love the Andrew Garfield movies, but I love this one uh, just as much, if not more. So it's it's my number three. It's an excellent choice. And my number three is a double whammy of Thor Ragnarok and Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, how do you like that? Because I like, <laughs> I like them. I like them both. Thor Ragnarok for the big cosmic funniness and the action as well. And Spider-Man Homecoming for one of the best renditions of Peter Parker and Spider-Man I've seen so far. The fact he stayed in the school was brilliant. Yes. And it's no, I like the fact he didn't go overboard with Tony Stark, but the reason he's in it does work well. Very cool. Well, there you go. We're clearly on the same page with those. As I, <laughs> I'm not too surprised to see that, that, that those films made both our lists. My number two is a film that I really, really loved, and it is Baby Driver, uh, directed by Edgar Wright and um, starring Ansel Elgort and a host of other people in, uh, who are all terrific. Baby Driver blew me away. It's this fantastic action movie. The choreography of it all and the music and the way it all works together is so brilliant. It really is a whole nother level of directing an action film. And it's it's fun, but it's got dark moments. And then it's dark, but it's got fun moments. And it just, I don't know, it's a kinetic uh, thrill ride from start to finish. And uh, I absolutely loved it. And that's my number two. Okay, I'm glad I made your list. It didn't make mine because, well, when I said with Get Out, the hype, you know, it lived up to the hype. I felt when I finally saw Baby Driver, because I didn't see it when it initially came out, I was watching it going, well, yeah, it's good. But then I just felt like... I was going, well, it just didn't quite click for me. The thing with Edgar Wright's films, I mean, I like the ones you mentioned as well, but with Scott Pilgrim, 
I didn't like. I, I, I didn't really like didn't like Scott that. Pilgrim at all. Yeah, I I didn't like that the first time I saw Scott Pilgrim, but I've seen it since, and it's sort of grown on me a bit by bit each time. I see more and more things I quite like. So maybe that will happen. Baby Drive with me, but I don't know. Phil, it's gonna. I gotta say that's gonna be hard to finish this episode. Why is that? Because you're dead to me. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm so disappointed. Well, go. Why don't you get in your, get in your car, put your music on? I will. I'm going to do that actually. All right. No, fair enough. Fair enough. I understand the the, the hype. Hype can kill a film sometimes, but I'm I'm disappointed that you yeah. didn't have the same experience with it that I did because I I loved it. But I understand. But okay. So what's yeah. your number two then? My number two is another comic book movie. This one is Blade of the Immortal, directed by Takashi Mikey, based on the manga. I just enjoyed the heck out of this. Basically, a samurai, loads and loads of people, and the samurai is being cursed or blessed with immortality. But if he gets things cut off. He can reconnect them, but he's in constant pain and tired. It was funny, quite moving places, good story, and just so much blood and violence and limbs flying everywhere, but done in such a great way. I just, it was just, wow. I was watching, just going, this is unbelievable. Over the top in many places, but just incredible to watch. Well, I haven't seen that one yet. I uh, didn't really get a theatrical release over here, and the video isn't out for a few weeks still. But it, it is on my list as soon as I get it. I'll be I'll be watching it. So I'm yeah, well worth it. checking that one out. My number one is going to go in a completely different direction. I, I think we have different number ones this year because I don't believe you've seen this one yet. Although maybe okay. maybe you'll correct me, but. It, it, you know, I had to think about this one because there were so many big, fun movies that I loved, but my number one was a much smaller movie, and it is Wonder. No, I've not seen it yet. Yeah, no. I got to say, I really loved this movie. You know, I, I, I'll i say the one thing, I, I've said it before, but if you're going to watch Wonder, just start bawling openly during the trailers. <laughs> It'll make the experience a lot easier for you. Um, but here's the thing. You know, it's not a bad thing to cry during movies. Some movies really, really deserve it and this is one of those movies sometimes you cry because it's a sad moment sometimes you cry I'm probably going to get choked up just talking about it sometimes you cry because it's a happy moment but boy I cried a lot during this movie and I loved every second of it it is a beautiful film it is heartfelt it is funny there's so much humor there's so many things that you don't expect that I'm not even going to tell you about yeah. because I don't want to ruin some of the fun reveal moments there are but you know it's it's this for those people who don't know it's a story of this little kid with uh, Treacher Collins syndrome which has a facial deformity and and him going to public school for the first time but the the kid actors in it are are just terrific and not just Jacob Tremblay the lead one but all the supporting ones as well it, it Owen Wilson is great in it, and I I just really can't explain how, how good this movie was. It, it really captured me. My kids loved it. My wife loved it. I loved it. It's one of those movies I think anybody can enjoy, um, and it just makes you feel good. Like, you're going to cry a lot, and you leave the theater feeling like you're walking on air, and I think that that is not an easy feat for a movie to, to pull off these days. So cannot recommend Wonder highly enough. It's it's one of my favorites. Really good oh, I'm stuff. Gl- I'm, I'm glad that's good because my daughter's read the book, and she's a— uh... She thought that was brilliant to me. Meant to, we meant to go and see the film, but never got around to it. So I'll have to, I'll have to get that on Blu-ray yeah, and we'll yeah. get that watched. I think you guys oh, will, will really I'm enjoy glad. watching it together. It's, it's a superb film. Okay, excellent. Oh, I'm glad. All right, so that was my number one, and we have, we know it's not yours. So, so go ahead and give us the big reveal. My number one is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. A controversial pick, Phil. Not really. Yes, but uh, <laughs> no, no. It's uh, written and directed by Martin McDonough, who did In Bruges and and Seven Psychopaths. Uh, and this one is about a mo- mother trying to get the police to track down a person who raped and killed her daughter. And from that description, you'd be surprised to know it's one of the funniest films you could possibly see as well, because it's just this dry humour. Francis McDormand's in it, who's just stunningly good. 
as lead character. Woody Harrelson as the sheriff is amazing. Sam Rockwell as this idiot deputy. The way his character develops is just one of the best things in film. Uh, just all the characters, it surprises you so many ways what the characters do and the way they interact and things like that. Uh, so you've got some some great character actors popping up as like little, not cameos, but just little supporting roles. They do the scenes and, and because the quality of the act, the actors that Mark McDonough got is just phenomenal. It's just everybody's at the top of the game with this small story that covers big issues, but does it in such a funny, clever way. And the way it's shot is just, just, just amazing. I just can't, the film is just so good. I can't even, as you know, some teenage girls would say. <laughs> Excellent choice. I haven't seen it yet. It got a limited release here so far, but I have heard obviously very good things about it. I know it's winning awards left and right, so looking forward yeah. to watching it. There's it a few festivals and a couple of limited screenings last year, which is right. when I was lucky enough to see it, but uh, an excellent film. Very good. All right, well, that's it. That's our top 10 films of 2017, a very good year for movies, we thought. Yes, get in touch and let us know what films you liked in 2017 and what films should have been on our list and other ones you may be surprised weren't there. Uh, but uh, you can get in touch uh, on Twitter at after underscore the ending, also on Facebook, after the ending podcast, if you search for that. And you can leave comments on the various podcast platforms that you're listening to this one on. And Mike, do you want to tell them the email address? Yep. Send us an email at afterTheEnding at Verizon.net. And maybe you'll hear it on the air. Yeah, get in touch with any films you want us to do after the endings for in the future. Any sponsoring, sponsor details and things like that. Just get in touch about anything, even if you just want to say, hey, that's cool. Do it. Do it now. That's right. And while we're at it, why not leave us a review on iTunes? It really, 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 really helps us out. So we would appreciate it. All right. Well, that's going to start to wrap things up for us. Phil, why don't you tell people what they can expect to hear from us next week? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, next week we're doing after the endings for Spike Lee's Inside Man and Orson Welles' huge film, Citizen Kane, which is I really do like. And we'll also be doing our top 10 films of 1980. So there should be some good ones in there. Indeed, there should. It sounds like it's going to be a jam-packed episode. We hope that you will join us for it. Uh, Until that time, however, I remain Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the ending. And Phil, it's one of those episodes where I didn't think at all about what I was going to say to you, and so I have nothing. I'm glad you said that, Mike, (laughs) because neither have I. Sometimes (laughs) from nothing comes greatness. This is is not one of those times, I would say. I think this could be a bit of the blooper reel. (laughs) I don't know what gives you that impression. (laughs) You don't think I should use this? Hi, listeners from the stars of the show. (laughs) Right. This this is what you missed. Hey, this is us an hour later. How'd the show go? Yeah, wow. I thought it was dreadful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it could have been better. Not our finest. Well, this seems like a perfectly good time to mention to readers that Phil and I do not compare notes before, uh, and the readers, listeners. Well, this seems like a perfectly good time to mention to our listeners that Phil and I do not compare notes before we come up with our endings. So any coincidences are, geez, beasties. Oh, geez. Yeah. Any coincidences are, geez, cheese beasties, yes. even better, cheese okay. beasties. <laughs> good Lord. Here we go. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. All right. That is the fly two. Uh, wait, no, that was terrible. Hang on. <laughs> I didn't say thank you for listening this time like I always do, but I think it's okay. Yeah, it'll be okay. I, I thank them for listening for 72 other episodes. I think I'll skip it for one. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be going. People will be going, well, I'm not listening anymore. He didn't thank us. <laughs> exactly. That bastard. We're not listening to that show anymore. He's ungrateful. I can't believe it. I only listen for the thank you. <laughs>
that's the best part of the episode. But that, that might not be inaccurate, actually. But That's when he acknowledges that we exist. 